Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Hey, there's one person who's awake. All right. Great to see all of you this morning. There are still a few donuts and a little bit of coffee left if you need your fix this morning. Uh, but thank you for coming this morning. Great to see all of you here in Next and all of our folks from Journey that are still here with us. And we've got quite a few guests here today. Um, Brianna, Mark, Ben, and uh, anybody else? My name's Jason. I normally teach this class. Uh, been a been a few weeks since uh, we were here, and uh, I'm Europe was awesome. There's a lot of things I could say about Europe. Um, I was glad to get back to the land of air conditioning, and ice in your Coke, and uh, cheeseburgers and French fries. Um, but it saw some amazing stuff, and you know I, the twisted sense of humor that I had thought that it would be great for me to just put all these pictures up there and show you, and while I've got you hostage. But um, I can remember somebody doing that to me whenever I was like 12 or 13. It was like the worst punishment in the world, looking at pictures of somebody else's vacation. So um, not going to do all that, um, but I've been talking with some of the guys this morning about some of the stuff we saw and experiences we had. And I'm thankful to have been able to go. I'm also very thankful to have been able to come back. So um, anyway, it's great to see all of you. Let me just say um, thank you especially to uh, Jeremy, to Brian, and to Nathan for uh, just taking care of business the way that they did. Um, I listened to their podcast, first class stuff. You guys heard some great stuff um, while I was gone, and I just want to say thank you so much uh, to them. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't have that everywhere. And uh, it's a blessing to be able to, to hear that type of material with that level of preparation um, and the excellence with which they presented it. So... Um, today's lesson is, uh, it's a hodgepodge, it's, it's brought to you um, courtesy of some Church of the Highlands midweek service podcasts, some Rick Warren daily devotionals, um, Mark Batterson's book All In, which I can't quit talking about, uh, and one of life's greatest teachers, jet lag. Um, <laughs> jet lag is a real thing. It, it'll teach you that there is a price to be paid uh, for disrupting your body's circadian rhythm. You don't go somewhere and it'd be 8 o'clock in the morning there, but your body thinks it's really 1 o'clock in the morning where you're, where you're supposed to be without paying a price. And uh, it's the back end of jet lag that gets you. That's what I found out. So all these years I've heard people talk about jet lag and thought, you know, just a bunch of sissies. You know, yeah, you're a sissy. I, I wouldn't bother. Now I know. Now I know it's a real thing. Um, today, we're going to go to Judges chapter 6 and chapter 7 in the NIV. Uh, Nathan has been furiously working at trying to get all these scriptures put in that I just gave him about 20 minutes before this class started. Um, so thank you for that. But I'm actually going to read most of Judges 6 and most of Judges 7 to you. So I don't need to spend a lot of time setting it up because you're, you're going to hear it and read it with me. But before we do that, uh, just to kind of set the stage, I want to ask you a question have you ever wondered about God's calling on your life? Have you ever wondered about God's calling on your life? Have you ever wondered if you've missed God's calling on your life? Those are some pretty intense and personal questions and things get heavy uh, in here pretty quick sometimes. Um, it's just the way it is, but... Sometimes the calling of God can be a little scary, and it can even seem, Brent, a little mysterious. 
to us. And I think that more often than not, the, the scariness and the mysteriousness of God's calling is a result of us thinking that it's one thing. Like there is a calling on my life and I've got to be careful because I don't want to miss it. Um, I, I didn't do that in college, Jason, so I, I missed it. Or I, I didn't go into that career, so I missed God's calling. Or I missed it whenever I didn't move to that place. Or I missed it whenever I didn't date or marry that person. Or I missed it because I didn't go to that church. Come on, y'all, is that... Stuff that we think. Yes, it is. I didn't respond, Jason, the way that I should have at a certain point in my life. And that was like the one point in time that I had to really respond the way I should have. And now I'm just kind of stuck and I've, I've missed God's will. And we'll tell ourselves all kinds of things about how we missed the calling of God in our lives. And it's because we have this misconception that the calling is a one-time singular thing. But I don't believe that to be the case. I don't think that's true. I believe that God calls us throughout our entire lives. And that there are different situations, uh, situations and different circumstances that He calls on us to move and respond to many different times. And I want to I talk to you more about this next week, hopefully about the difference between your lifelong call and your life-defining call. I think some of y'all missed that. I want to say that again. I'm going to talk to you, I hope, next week about the difference between your lifelong call and your life-defining call. We'll get to that next week. It's a little teaser. But I've got to think, especially today, I've got to think about this whole calling thing from a father's perspective. So I'm trying to set this up. My kids, I've got three, Kaylin, Ethan, Owen, they despise the words stick party. Stick party. They despise that word because that's dad code for there's a whole bunch of sticks in the yard and y'all aren't going to sit in the air conditioning while I'm out there busting my tail picking them all up. So I'm inviting you to come help me pick up all the sticks in the yard. And, and they hate it. And sometimes it's more work for me to get my invitation across to them and get them involved in the work that I have for them to do, than it is for me to just go ahead and do it all myself. But if I say, Kaylin, Ethan, Owen, it, it's stick party time. Come work with me. Come help me. I need your help. And nobody comes. They say, nah, Dad, we, we don't want to do that. Nah, look, I, I got other things that I'd rather do. I'm going to give them some motivation. I'm going to do my best to try to get through to them about why they don't want to miss out on stick party time. And they will usually get on board with me. But if they don't, I'm disappointed. I'm, I'm frustrated. But it doesn't mean, somebody listen to me, it doesn't mean that I disown them. It doesn't mean that I kick them out of the house. It doesn't mean that they lose all of the benefits of being a child of Jason and Julia. 
It doesn't mean, watch this, and it doesn't mean that I never ask them to come work with me again. It doesn't mean that I sit back and watch them destroy themselves because I gave them one shot to get on board with me and help me and work with me and they blew it. Where do we get this idea from, guys, that God is is cruel and vindictive? Where does that come from? Because that's not Bible and that's not something that our relationship with him teaches us. That's not a good father. So right here at the outset of this lesson today, I want to I want you to go ahead and do your best to embrace this idea that God doesn't just give you one shot to get involved in his will. And if you blow it, you're done. That's not how it works. And thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So get this, get this in your head. He wants you to join him. He wants you to come alongside him and he wants to come alongside you and and work together to fulfill the design purpose that he has for you. He wants that. And just because you may not have responded the right way the last time doesn't mean that he's not going to call you again. Pretty sure there's scripture that says the callings of God, Hunter, are without repentance. You don't you don't get away from them. So whenever God asks you to do something, think of it this way. It's a journey. It's not a destination. It's something that we go through our entire lives. So when God calls, how do we respond? Because it's something that we are going to experience again and again and again in different seasons of our lives, at different times in our lives. It's something that we're going to encounter over and over and over again. God's call. So today I want to talk about responding to the call. And to do that, I want us to look at um, just this average, normal guy named Gideon. His story is found in in the book of Judges. We're going to check out his story and look at how just this average, normal guy responded to God's call. And what I want to do is I want to, uh, toward the end of this thing, I want to give you some next steps, six of them, and some, some questions to go along with those steps that will help you Respond the next time God calls. Okay? I hope that's alright because that's all I got. So let's go to, uh, to Judges chapter 6. And y'all just y'all hang with me. We're, we're going to read. We're going to read. And, and I did you a favor. Nate's been doing you a favor. We're putting this in the NIV. Uh, so it's a little bit easier to get into. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, so the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Verse 3. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat. They took all of the sheep, all of the goats, all the cattle, and all the donkeys. And these enemy hordes coming with their livestock and tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel, watch this, was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then, then, how often do we do this? We are stripped bare. 
we are starving, we are down to nothing before we finally cry out to God. And whenever our rope has run out, that's whenever we say, uh, Jesus, can I get a little help? Let's keep going. It says, Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. When they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. Oh. <laughs> for those of you in podcast land, the lights just came on. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove out your enemies and I gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live. But you've not listened to me. I told you what to do and you didn't do it. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath a great tree at Ophrah. Not Oprah, Ophrah which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer, or however you say that. And Gideon, the son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress. This is what I love about the Word of God, because it says so much in just, just a few words. You're like, what few words? Because that was a whole lot of words. Look at this. He's threshing wheat at the bottom of a winepress to hide grain from the Midianites. A little side note here. It was so bad in Israel, and things were so bad for Gideon, that he's threshing wheat at the bottom of the wine press. And you theologians, you, 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 you Bible scholars in the room, you know that wine, which comes from wine press, wine is a type or a symbol of joy. And it's even a type and a symbol of the Holy Spirit whenever you get into the New Testament. So Gideon is he's threshing wheat in the place that was supposed to be a source of of joy. Gideon, he's laboring and he is working, he's hiding and he's straining. He's striving for survival and just a little bit of nourishment in the place that God intended to be a source of joy to him. So I know in a room that's this size today, there's at least one person who came in here today and you're just hanging on by your fingernails. You are barely making it. You're surviving. God's got a word for you today. And I felt this in my spirit this morning. I feel it again in here right now. Stop laboring. Stop straining. Stop striving. Answer my call. And the places where you are straining and working so hard are going to become a source of joy to you like I intended them to be. Let's keep reading. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, watch this, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Okay, the angel of the Lord just appeared to a guy who's hiding in a wine press, barely surviving, and called him mighty hero. There's so much there in those two words. God's not being funny. He isn't being sarcastic. He sees our potential. Sure, he sees our struggle and he sees our desperation. But watch this, Gideon's dilemma is not what defined him in the eyes of God. God didn't look at him and see some poor slob that's struggling trying to survive in the bottom of a wine press. God looked at Gideon and said, yeah, man, look, I, I can see your situation. I can see you're struggling right now, but I also see who you are intended to be. I also see what I've planned you, for you to be. You're a hero. And you're not just any hero, you're a mighty hero. 
So you might be hiding right now and you might be struggling, but I see who you really are. Blows Gideon's mind. Sir? (laughs) Sir? Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I know you're hiding out in the wine press, Gideon. I know you're barely surviving and you're barely getting by. I know you're scared to death. And you're worried. I know you feel abandoned. I know things seem pretty bad around you. I know you don't feel very strong right now with where you are in your life. But I want you to go with the strength you have. Not the strength you wish you had. Not the strength you had last year. Not even the strength you had the last time I called you. I want you to get up out of the wine press where you're hiding, Kim, and I want you to go with the strength that you have right now. You've got some strength. You're down in the wine press laboring, brother, so you're not done yet. That's the good news. So, with the strength you have, I want you to rescue an entire nation because I'm calling you. I'm sending you. Gideon's confused. I think I would be too. Lord, Gideon said, this is in verse 15. How can I rescue Israel? And watch this part. This is going to sound familiar. This is the part where we start to disqualify ourselves from God's calling based on our insecurities. He says... Next verse, my clan is the weakest in the whole of the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. I'm the weakest and the least. The Lord said to him, I will be with you and I will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. That's a pretty cool turn of phrase to me. Verse 17, Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, then show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. How many of us have been there? God, if that's you, you got to send me a sign. Okay, so now we get to that part of the story where Gideon doesn't believe all this. He, you know, here's God calling him. He's like, is this really God? Is that really, really, like, really, really you, God? Is this, is this all for real? So we know God's called us before and we've had that type of response. We're like, uh, really? Look, I don't, I don't know about that, God. I think that what I'm hearing right now might possibly be that big plate of fried food that I had before I went to bed. And is not you at all. So Gideon goes into test mode for the rest of this chapter. And and we're not going to read it. You're welcome. But it's verse after verse after verse where Gideon is essentially testing God to make sure of his call. So he he asked God to prove himself to make sure. And and God does over and over and over. He says, all right, Gideon, look, man, whatever you need, this is important. So we get down to verse 36 in, in chapter 6, and it's the story of the fleece. Uh, if you've ever heard of people praying and, and putting the fleece out, or you hear the old timers and they'll say that I put a fleece before the Lord. 
This is where that comes from. And this is where Gideon is putting the fleece or a sheepskin with the wool still on it outside. And this is what he does. He says, he, he prays. He says, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm going to put a fleece out. And it, if it's wet and the ground is dry, then I'll know it's you. And God does it. Gideon wakes up in the morning and, and the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. And Gideon's like, uh, look, Lord, could we do this one more time? But this time... I want you to do the direct opposite of what I asked you to do the first time. So this time, would you make the ground wet and the fleece dry and just reverse the whole process just so I can be sure. And then I'll really, really know that it's you. And God has patience with Gideon. He does the reverse and, and gets up in the morning, fleece is dry, ground's wet. And so now Gideon's in a bind. Because now he knows that like this is really God. And, and he doesn't have an out anymore. And, you know, he, Gideon finds himself in a place where we find ourselves sometimes. We're like, oh, man, that really is God. <laughs> so now I got to do something, right? And it's kind of like what happens to us. And, 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 and so now that means, you know, I've got, to, I've got to answer. I've got to respond. Because now I know this is really God. I've got to answer and I've got to respond to this call. Because it's God calling. It's not the fried seafood platter I had. So finally we get to chapter 7. And Gideon's like, okay God, it's, it's really you. What's next? And so we're going to read in chapter 7. And if they don't have all of it in the NIV, then we're do, we'll do the rest of it in the King James. So chapter 7, verse 1. So Gideon and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Herod. And the enemies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. Verse 2, the Lord said to Gideon, you have too many warriors with you. So let me set this up for you. If you read down a little bit farther, you see that Gideon is going up against an army of 145,000 enemy troops. 145,000. If you've been to Tiger Stadium on a Saturday night, that's about 100 to 104,000. Keep that number in mind. At this point, Gideon has 32,000 people in his army. And God's saying, Gideon, you, we got a problem. Your army's too big. Uh, what? So in the, in the scripture it says, if I let all of you fight the Midian, all, all of us, all 32,000 of us, if I let all of you fight the Midianites, then the Israelites will boast to me that they saved themselves by their own strength. Therefore, tell the people, whoever is timid or afraid may leave this mountain and go home. Now, up to this point, Gideon recruited probably every capable soldier he could find. Probably men who had never been soldiers before in their lives were in that group. And he recruited 32,000, so he's got 32,000. He's going up against 145,000. And God says, Gideon, tell anybody who's scared they can go home. Now, if I'm in an army of 32,000 people going up against an army of 145,000, peace, I'm out. Y'all got it, because I'm scared, and I'm, I'm going home. So who wouldn't leave? So 22,000 left. Gideon's got to be loving his call right now. 
Come on, somebody. Because he finally answered the call. He's trying to do what God asked him to do. And now it's like God's taking resources away. He's just got to be full of confidence at this point. And it leaves him 10,000 dudes that were still willing to fight. And those had to be some pretty bad dudes if they're willing to stick around in the face of 145,000 enemies. So, the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many. <laughs> Seriously. And uh, so we, we got to fix this. So I want you to bring them down to the spring and I, I'm going to test them. I'm going to determine who will go with you and who will not. And when Gideon took his warriors down to the water, the Lord told him, divide the men into two groups. And one group put all of those who cup water in their hands and lap it up with their tongues like dogs. And then the other group put all those who kneel down and drink, from the, drink with their mouths from the stream. Only 300 of the men drank from their hands. All of the others got down on their knees and drank with their mouths in the stream. So Gideon gets the bigger group, right? The, the 9,700. The Lord told Gideon, with these 300 men... I will rescue you and give victory to the Midianites. Come on, God! Really? Send all the others home. So Gideon collected the provisions and ram's horns of the other warriors and sent them home, but the, he kept the 300 men with him. And you, you can see Gideon, he, he took the provisions from the men as they left. Look, guys, you, you got to give me whatever you got. Give me all your knives, all your swords, all your spears, all your M16s, all your bullets. Give me everything because we're going to need it. Us 300 men. And then it says the Midianite camp was in the valley just below Gideon. And it says that night the Lord said, get up. Go down to the Midianite camp for I have given you victory over them. Watch this, verse 10. But if you are afraid, that's kind of funny, to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura. And listen to what the Midianites are saying and you will be greatly encouraged. Then you will be eager to attack. So now we get to see whether or not Gideon was afraid. Next verse. So Gideon took Pura and went down to the edge of the enemy camp. <laughs> yes, Gideon, I'm right there with you. So the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the other people of Esau settled in the valley like a swarm of locusts. Their camels were like grains of sand on the seashore, too many to count. Gideon crept up just as a man was telling his companion about a dream. The man said, I had this dream. And in my dream, a loaf of barley bread came tumbling down into the Midianite camp. And it hit a tent, turned it over, and knocked it flat. And his companion answered, you're weird. You have really weird dreams. Who dreams about barley loaves? No, he said, your dream can only mean one thing. <laughs> You had too many jalapenos for dinner. He said, no, your dream means only one thing. God has given Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite, victory over Midian and all its allies. Crazy. And what's crazier is whenever Gideon hears this guy talking about a loaf of bread, he says, okay, that's it. Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation. He bowed in worship before the Lord. Then he returned to the Israelite camp and shouted, get up. For the Lord has given you victory over the Midianite hordes. And he divided the 300 men into three groups and gave each man a ram's horn, a clay jar, and a torch. So he's 300 and he's going up against 145,000. No M16s, no RPGs, no M1 tanks, no aircraft carriers. He gives his army a horn, a pot, and a candle. That's what they've got. 
Help me, Jesus. I've got a horn, a pot, and a candle. 300 of them. Let's finish the story. Then he said to them, Keep your eyes on me when I come to the edge of the camp. Do just as I do. As soon as I and those with me blow the ram's horns, blow your horns too, and all around the entire camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. It was just after midnight, after the changing of the guard, when Gideon and the 100 men with him reached the edge of the Midianite camp. Suddenly, they blew the ram's horns and broke their clay jars. Verse 20. Then all three groups blew their horns and broke their jars, and they held the blazing torches in their left hands and the horns in their right hands, and they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! Verse 21. Every man stood at his position around the camp and watched as all of the Midianites rushed around in a panic, shouting as they ran to escape. When the 300 Israelites blew their ram's horns, the Lord caused the warriors in the camp to fight against each other with their swords. And those who were not killed fled into the places as far away as Beth, say it in your head, and to the border of all the other places. <laughs> Some of you caught that. Some of you weren't paying attention. Okay, so they, they didn't have to fight anybody. They didn't have to fight anybody. The 145,000 basically killed themselves and, and the few that are left, you know, they, they run off. They run, run away, run away into the hills. And you go to chapter 8, verse 28 to see the end of the story. So, so this is the end of the story. It says in Judges 8, 28 that this is the story of how the people of Israel defeated Midian which never recovered. Catch that? The enemy never recovered. And throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Some of you would give everything you've got right now for 40 days of peace. But whenever Gideon, watch me, responded to the call of God, 40 years of peace. That story we just read was, was God's call on Gideon's life. And, and, and that call, folks, it, it freaked him out. It, it scared him. It came at a bad time. It came whenever it was a less than ideal situation for Gideon. It didn't make sense. He didn't believe it. He wasn't sure about it. And none of it went down or worked out or came to pass probably the way that he thought it would. But because Gideon responded to the call. Israel was saved and experienced 40 years of peace. Now it's almost, almost time to, to get down to practical nuts and bolts stuff. That will help you with responding to God's call the next time it comes. But before I do that, I've, I've got to be really transparent. As a guy who's standing up here today and trying to communicate to you about how to respond to God's call. You've got to know, I haven't always gotten it right. Um, I haven't always responded in the right way. I can remember in my second semester at LSU, um, I, I didn't have a clue about what I wanted to do with myself. Um, I'd met this girl and we were trying to figure things out. Um, I, I think I was a business major at that time. I, I changed majors about 15 times within the first two years I was at LSU. Um, if I knew that wasn't right, but I was like, everybody else is a business major. I guess I'll do that. Um, I took some aptitude tests uh, to try and figure myself out. And I took a couple of them. And number one on the list, both times, clergy. Which for those of you who don't know what that is, that's ministry. 
and pastoring. And I can remember, guys, I can remember sitting there looking at that computer screen like scoffing. Scoffing. No, that's not for me. That, that is not me. Number one, there's no money in it. And I'm planning on retiring whenever I'm 30 as a millionaire. So I'm not doing that. Uh, number two, I've got too many problems and too many issues at 17, 18 years old. I knew that about myself at least. Uh, I'm not even sure what I believe myself sometimes. So there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to lead a bunch of other people. And number three, people are too crazy. And there's no way that I'm going to try... To lead a bunch of people. Because people are crazy. And I had all of these reasons, guys, about why that wasn't the right thing for me. And now, here we are 25 years later, and I can't think of anything else I would rather do more than pastor a church. And I don't know if that's what God has for me. I might be an assistant principal until the day I die. It's, it's not my call. That's God's call. But I can tell you this. If God opened the door tomorrow, I'd probably run over somebody trying to get out of my driveway to go wherever it was God called me to go. So I, I just want you to know that from the outset. It's, thank God. I said this earlier. Thank God it's not a one-time thing. Because if it was a one-time thing, I'd have missed it 25 years ago and have no hope. We don't always respond the right way and I'm probably not the right guy to teach you any of this stuff. Or maybe I am the right guy because I've learned how not to do it. But taking all of that into consideration here in just the next five minutes and I, yeah, I, I can get this done in five minutes. Uh, here, are, here are six next steps for you today. I've got six. Six next steps for you today with some key questions to help you respond to God's call. Those of you that take notes, this is the part you want to write down. Okay, this, this is where it, it's all nuts and bolts. And, and some of you here today, you already know what God's call is. You already know. You're, you're either in denial or running from it, um, but or still trying to figure it out, but, but you already know. For the rest of us, then these six things are for the next time God calls you so that we can respond the right way. So here we go. Six ways to respond to God's call. Number one, eliminate distractions. Eliminate distractions. Gideon was hiding. He was threshing wheat. He was in survival mode in his everyday life, Lori. That's what he was doing. Some of our greatest distractions in life is just the normal stuff in life. It's the going through the motions of everyday living. I get distracted by nothing. That's how bad off I am. I, we've got to get to a place, you've got to get to a place, I've got to get to a place where we can hear God. And that's different from person to person. Some of us can't hear from God while there's music going. Some of us can't hear from God without music going. Some of us got to be at church. Some of us got to be in the shower. Some of us got to be in the car driving. Wherever it is, you got to, if you only hear from God in the shower, then take a three hour long shower. But eliminate this. And look, you're in the shower. Hopefully you're usually by yourself. <laughs> There's nothing else there to distract you. Go ahead and plug in and hear from God if that's what it takes. Whatever you got to go, whatever you got to do, eliminate the distractions, turn off, unplug, get by yourself where you can hear from God. Here's the key question What's God saying? Eliminate the distractions, but the question is, what is God saying? Because if you don't know what God is saying, then it probably means you're distracted. 
What it probably doesn't mean is that God's silent. Because He very rarely is. He's, he's usually only silent during test time. And y'all remember from school, you go through long periods of instruction and short periods of testing, right? Usually during those short periods, God doesn't say anything because it's a test. But during all those other long periods of instruction, He's talking. But if you're not hearing Him, it's because you're distracted. If nothing else, God is speaking to you through His Word because it's not a book of rules. It's His Word to us. It's Him talking to us. So if nothing else, get out your Bible and read it. Even if you can't do all that spooky hearing Him in the Spirit stuff, take out your Bible and read it and let God talk. But eliminate the distractions. Number two, eliminate excuses. As Gideon, as soon as Gideon heard God's call, Gideon, I want you to go save Israel. Gideon said, but, but, but. I'm the least of the least of the least. And his excuses were his first response to God's call. Our first response to God's call, the next time he comes calling, eliminate the excuses. How do I know what the excuses are? Here's the key question. What's the enemy saying? How do I know what the excuses are? What's the enemy saying? Jason, you don't have a pedigree. Your dad, your grandpa, they weren't a pastor or a preacher. They, they weren't an evangelist. Jason, you don't have a degree in churchy stuff. You didn't go to Bible college. You didn't get a degree in theology. Jason, you don't have any real training in ministry. You, you've been in a teacher or, or an assistant principal your whole life. You, you've never been on a church staff. You, all you know is school stuff. You don't know church stuff. Jason, you don't have the time. You're 42 years old, man. At least half of your life is probably over. Unless the good die young, in which case I'm going to live forever. <laughs> but you, you've got a wife that, that likes to have money and a house and food. And you've got kids that like to eat a lot. And you know that all of that takes this stuff called money. Eliminate the excuses. That's what the enemy's saying. The enemy's telling you all the reasons why you can't, why you shouldn't. God can do anything with anybody at any time. And in responding to the call, every excuse of yours must fall flat on its face before God because He has no limitations. doesn't matter how old, how young, how rich, how poor. Folks, if we really believe it, then He can do, with anything, he can do anything with anybody at any time. Number three, eliminate fear. This one gets us. Gideon dealt with it. The enemy's got 145,000. I got 32,000. And then it got worse. Fear attacks at the moment you respond to a call. Fear attacks. Ask this question. What am I afraid of? If you have to, I've done this, write it out. Get you a pen and a piece of paper and write down the things that you're afraid of. There is something about putting those things that you're afraid of on a piece of paper that makes them not so scary. I can't explain it. But once you can quantify it and look at it on a piece of paper, it's not as scary. But make a list and pray over it. Lord, I'm afraid. I'm afraid that I'm not going to be able to afford any beans and mac and cheese. We're not going to have anything to eat. Gideon was afraid that he was going to be killed. Here's how to eliminate fear. This is it right here. My faith is in God, not in my circumstance. God is God no matter where I am. No matter what my job is. No matter what my paycheck is or isn't. God's God. He's God whether I've got 300 or whether I've got 32,000. He's God. And another way that you can eliminate fear is once you've got those things written down, involve other people. I'm flying. I know I'm, I'm trying to hurry. We've got three more. 
involve other people in that list. Amy, Tommy, I need you all to pray with me. God's calling me, but I'm afraid. And these are the things that I'm afraid of. Pastor, mom, dad, these are the things that I'm afraid of. If, if, I, if I step out, if I do this, this is what I'm afraid of. Involve other people in your list of stuff that scares you. Number four, eliminate ignorance. My wife's going to love this one. Watch this. Because I'm the guy, it's like, God called me to go to, you know, where, to load up the van, man, let's go. Julia's like, hold on just a minute, honey. <laughs> We've got three kids and food and we like to eat every now and then. And, you know, it'd kind of be nice to have something to eat next week. So, because we always talk about stepping out in faith, stepping out in faith, stepping out in faith. But that doesn't mean that we step out in total ignorance. Okay, God, I'll go wherever you open the door. Throw the stuff. That would be ignorant. Because there are responsibilities that have to be met. There are people that have to be taken care of. And we need to know what those are. So here's your key question. To eliminating ignorance, what are the facts? What are the facts? God told Gideon, look, I want you to look at all those guys that put their face down in the water and drank. And I want you to send him home. Send those guys home because I want the guys that are aware. I want the guys that have their head up. I want the guys that know what's up. Those are the guys I want. Because these guys are about to go into battle and they're going to have to take directions from a leader. I can't have ignorance on this crew. The facts are you need money to live, a house to live in, water to drink, and food to eat. So deal with the facts. Eliminate ignorance. Number five, eliminate impossibility. Gideon's 300 guys are facing down 145,000 and that doesn't make any sense. So while we're going to deal in facts and eliminate ignorance, we're going to recognize at the same time that God can do anything with anybody at any time. So here's the question. What do I believe? What do I believe? If you're responding to a call, folks, you're going to be faced with that question. This is where the rubber meets the road. That moment of truth where you say, God, I believe in you. I believe in your love and intentions toward me. And I believe in your call. And I believe that you can use me. Even though I might be the least of the least, if you can use Gideon, then you can use me. Last one, number six, eliminate disobedience. What a shame to get that all the way down through the list. Number one, Eliminate this. Number two, eliminate, eliminate, and then to get down to the bottom and not follow through. Eliminate disobedience. We know what the Bible says in Samuel. Obedience is better than sacrifice, right? God's saying, look, man, I don't need all that stuff. I need you to just do what I ask you to do. Disobedience will eliminate the greatest miracles that God has for your future because we get right to the edge and then we don't follow through. Here's what happened to Gideon. I'm, on, I'm wrapping up right now. He had the torch inside the clay jar. That's what that jar was for, to hide the... Hide the, hide the flame. They got to the edge of the enemy camp and there came a point where Gideon had to do what God told him to do, which was break the jar, expose the flame. Once he exposes the flame, it's done. There's no stepping back from that point. There's no Up to that point, he could have turned around and gone home. But there came a point where he had to break the jar. This is cool to me because following through with God usually requires something gets broken somewhere along the way. He had to break the jar and be exposed and no turning back. God, all I've got is you. This is completely in your hands. That was a point of obedience for Gideon. And if he would have done all of the other stuff but not broken the jar at the end, it would have been for nothing. So here's the question. Have I done everything he asked me to do? It's a follow-through question. Have I done everything He asked me to do?
Next week, I want to talk to you about responding to God's time for you. Today was about responding to God's call. Next week, Lord willing, I want to talk to you about responding to God's time. I know I've gone over. We've got to wrap up and go. Lord, I thank you for every one of these people that are here today. Thank you for helping us get through this stuff on Gideon. Lord, I pray that you would talk to us through this stuff about the call that you have on our lives and help us to respond the right way whenever it comes. In Jesus' name.